Hello, and thank you again for listening to Biospace's Weekly Roundup. I'm Lori Ellis, Head of Insights, and I'm here with Greg Slobakin, News Editor, and Tyler Patchen, Staff Writer. I want to thank you both again for joining me. Thanks, Lori. Let's just dive in. We've had exciting news this week. So, Greg, I'm going to start with you. Yeah, the big news uh, on Friday was that the FDA has approved a novel type of cancer therapy, and this is for melanoma. And what makes it really unique is that it uses immune system cells from a patient's tumor. And so this is for aggressive forms of melanoma, which, as we all know, represents a small percentage of all skin cancers, but it can have a high rate of mortality. So the treatment that got approved by the FDA is called MTAGV, and it was developed by iAvance Biotherapeutics. And as I said, it's for patients whose melanoma cannot be removed with surgery or has spread to other parts of the body. And so these are patients with very limited treatment options, or at least heretofore have had very limited treatment options. So think of MTAGV as similar to CAR-T therapies. We all know about CAR-T therapies, which are used uh, primarily to treat blood cancers. But MTEGV has this distinction of being the first cell therapy approved by the FDA for solid tumors. And solid tumors are sort of the holy grail in oncology. So, you know, this was an approval that was much anticipated. It got fast-tracked by the FDA in its accelerated approval pathway. But at the same time, IOVANCE is going to now have to conduct an additional trial to confirm its efficacy as a condition of approval. So it's really great news. It is definitely a milestone for the agency. As I mentioned, MTECV was one of the most anticipated FDA approvals, not the least of which because it is the first one-time cell therapy for a solid tumor, but it's also the first tumor infiltrating lymphocyte therapy, or TIL, which has been approved by the FDA. And so What's interesting about this TIL category is that it holds really strong potential for treating several other solid tumors. And this is not a technology that's new. It's taken essentially four decades to reach maturity. And interestingly enough, it was first developed at the National Cancer Institute in 1982, and this was using mouse cells. But since then, it was applied to a method for melanoma patients, And then eventually it showed great efficacy in treating advanced melanoma in research and ultimately clinical trials. Now, on the trial side, MTEGV in 73 patients treated with with MTEGV, about 30% saw an objective response, smaller number three experienced a complete response and 20 a partial response. So you can see the reason why the FDA is insisting that IOVANCE do a clinical trial to follow up on efficacy and make sure that, you know, the results are repeated or at least improved. I, I want to mention that TIL therapies basically uh, take advantage of a patient's immune cells. And so I- these are immune cells which tend to be suppressed in the tumor environment. And so what happens is these cells are extracted from tumor biopsies, they're expanded in numbers, they're revamped for better efficacy, and then they're put back into the patient, which leads to an anti-tumor activity. So it's a very exciting category, and hopefully we'll see further developments, advancements uh, as we go here. Right, and I know that on IOVANCE's side, there is excitement. And it's very interesting because I'm connected to some of these individuals on LinkedIn, as we all are. And one thing that I'm reminded of as I read the posts 
is why we all got into this business. And this is something that I have been watching in JPM. And I am remiss because I do not remember the quote, uh, the individual's name who actually gave the quote. But he said at the end of a panel, be kind to one another. And when I read these posts where I believe I'm going to butcher his name, Summit Verma literally posted that he remembers moments hosting the first patient speaker in 2021, which is Tony English. And then Justin Andre holding an infusion bag. That says to me that the industry is definitely looking at the patient journey and that there is this resurgence of why we are here and why we do this. And the reason I bring this up is because I was just at Scope. And Scope's first panel opened Scope with the patient journey, diversity and inclusion. And that's a pretty strong statement right there. And yes, Scope is full of artificial intelligence and ML and you know all, everything therapies-based. But when we really bring back to the patient, but we actually go further into the human story. And I believe it was the last day that the sexual and gender minority community was also addressed in the panels. And so I find that very uh, hopeful and uplifting. Yeah, I mean, the patient side of the story is really interesting because these are for patients who really are at a last resort. And what's what's phenomenal about this is that patients only need to receive the treatment once for it to work. And we'll see what happens with the follow-on trial. Uh, of course, there is a, uh, a box warning. There are side effects for this treatment as well. But uh, it's, it's unbelievable news for patients who really have been left uh, to this point with very limited treatment options. So talking about the patient experience and patient journey, Tyler, you're you were following a story that really looked at it from the manufacturing side and shortages. Yes, well, I've been looking at shortages for a minute, but this is recent news that came out was that uh, the FTC and the Department of Health and Human Services are uh, pretty much are issuing requests for information to kind of look into different groups that are involved in the supply chains of generic drugs. These include wholesalers and group purchasing organizations or GPOs. GPOs are sort of middlemen who kind of work between providers and manufacturers to negotiate sort of the price of generics. So basically, the information that HHS and the FTC are trying to get after is to sort of determine the influence of GPOs and wholesalers and what they have in sort of the availability and pricing for generic drugs. We'll have probably more information come out about this in the coming months. It's sort of early days. Uh, they're just trying to, it's just an information gathering initiative at the moment. But obviously, this is just kind of another piece in sort of the larger puzzle when it comes to drug shortages. You know, we have a, a massive amount of, you know, speaking to people, about 300 drugs of all different varieties and all different uh, types out of, in shortage. There's been different causes from manufacturing to quality to every aspect. So I think the government is definitely trying to find solutions now and find different solutions to, to the problem. I think, it, it, again, it's a huge problem. It's a very multifaceted issue. And I think this is just the latest in the very complicated puzzle. I would be remiss if I didn't actually highlight the fact that we are in an election year and the government has chosen this time. To, to have this probe. 
Now, I'm not saying that it is politically motivated, but it'll be very interesting to see how this probe evolves and if it continues into a non-election year as well. That'll be true. And at this point, it's Congress has been at least focused on the issue for for over a year, at least. I don't think that dissuades any sort of issues. Obviously, it's one of those could be one of those issues on the lead up to an election for sure. There are bills that are being proposed or being written, so it's not like it isn't at least some sort of an issue and people are at least focused on it. But I think for now, I think that, frankly, I think just for the past year, year and a half, almost two years, I think the situation has been bad enough where mm-hmm. um, I think there is some sort of action that probably needs to be undertaken, whether or not sort of an election year or not, not to disagree with you, but I think there's, I think there could be more than just that at play too. Oh, absolutely. And I'm I'm not saying that I'm not highlighting the fact that it's not an issue because it has it has been becoming increasingly a challenge. But I would hope, and this is the only thing that I'm saying, is that I hope that mm-hmm. this continues forward, that this right, momentum right. that we're having continues forward and doesn't stop. That's I, I, the only I concern that I tend to highlight and just something for us to watch in the future. Agreed. Agreed. I want to just emphasize here, I mean, the fact that they're looking at generic drugs is critical because I think I saw a stat somewhere that Americans depend on generic drugs for 90% of their prescriptions. So it's no small thing if these shortages are impacting access to those drugs, price of those mm-hmm. drugs, all of the above. Well, yes. And I don't want to say on a weekly basis, but there's constantly some type of article coming out or something being reported of a shortage. So I agree with both of you completely. Why don't we move to a another topic, and that is money and Series A and Series B funding. And I believe, Tyler, you are the one who is following the ADC's movement right now. Yes, uh, all, another sort of red-hot topic amongst, amongst many topics in biopharma. But yeah, obviously, so far, we haven't seen the big pharma acquiring the ADC companies, at least not yet. Obviously, that was a big trend towards the end of the year, but that's not to say that the ADC market isn't stopping. One of the two raises that I tracked last week, Profound Bio out of Seattle, raised a $112 million Series B. This effort is to sort of push four of their ADC candidates forward and further into clinical development. The one, one of the main ones that they have is a a folate receptor alpha targeted ADC for endometrial and ovarian cancers. They also have a couple of, you know, others and planning, some are even planning to go into the clinic this year or start trials this year. So this Series B was sort of to get that uh, kind of rolling and forward. The other one that I tracked was from Firefly Bio. This company was actually founded by uh, Carolyn Bertozzi, who won the, it was a Nobel Prize uh, laureate. They raised a Series A of $94 million. And they're kind of a little different in that they're planning to combine the power of an antibody drug conjugate with a, a with a protein degrader. So basically trying to make their platform and their drug a bit more powerful and to, to kind of go at it in a different way. Combining all of this stuff with a proprietary technology, you know, they plan to sort of have lower doses. They said they plan to go after solid and liquid tumors. And so, the you know, they, they kind of are another biotech that is definitely jumping into the ADC scene, but looking to go at it in a, in a probably a little bit different direction. 
Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, those are the companies looking to get in, the startups and, you know, the fundraising that they're doing. It doesn't surprise me. The ADC uh, field has been hot for some time. And it's interesting when you look at the major players, there's no less enthusiasm for antibody drug conjugates uh, in the field of oncology. And if you look at the players, I mean, it's Daiichi Sanko, it's uh, Seijin, it's Roche. It's Gilead, it's AstraZeneca, it's, it's just the list goes on and on, uh, Merck and AbbVie as well, as, and, and also Takeda. So th- what they're all trying to get in on is this market, which is expected to reach more than $36 billion globally uh, by 2029. So it, it doesn't surprise me that the fundraising continues, that there's enthusiasm for ADCs, and uh, it's something we'll continue to see as well as on the M&A front, potentially with, with acquisitions this year. All of us are nodding with each other, which is great because we agree with each other, but it doesn't make for a great podcast. But that's okay. <laughs> At least everyone knows that we agree with one another, and that's great. And on that note, thank you, Greg and Tyler, for your insights. That concludes this episode. If you have any questions, please reach out to one of us directly. 